You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark and Caitlin. It's an OG edition of the Beltway Briefing. Mark, do you know what OG means? It's uh, the original gangster, I believe. Very very good. Clara and Sophie have taught you well, Mark. They have taught me well, absolutely. We just need Jim Schultz and we could uh, have the original OG. Exactly. So it's a bit of a slow news week, but there's never a shortage of... uh, things we can talk about. We hosted an interesting event this week in our Philadelphia office, a a book party. Speaking of Jim Schultz. Speaking of Jim Schultz, we should bring, I feel like we could bring Schultz back now for a cameo. That would be fun. It would be something. (laughs) But we hosted an event, a book party for Dave McCormick, my former colleague from Treasury, who ran for Senate and lost in the primary to Mehmet Oz because Trump foolishly endorsed Oz because Dave would not refute or Dave would not support Trump's stolen election claims his his lying stolen election claims. Unclear whether Dave's running for Senate in Pennsylvania again, but I think my money's on him. My money's on him running. He sounded like a candidate. Mark, you made a back of the room appearance. You were you were Bob I, Casey's spy in the in the room at the I event. I had an agreement with the host that there would be no photographic evidence that I was at that event. So I, I was happy to see our Republican friends who had some very interesting thoughts about a uh, McCormick Casey. Yeah, so actually, I McCormick's a very impressive guy. Obviously, that goes without saying, but I'll but I'll say it. He's a very impressive guy. I don't think you write that book and show up at an event like ours if you're not thinking very seriously about being a candidate again. He's he. He's got other things to do if he's not running for office. So I I think everybody there thought that was an exploratory type uh, event. But but what I heard, Howard and, and Caitlin, that was so interesting was, uh, and, and again, from the Republicans in the room, which I think everyone but me was, but their, their view was twofold and and I I get both both parts. Number one, it's a shame that two good guys like Dave McCormick and Bob Casey might square off against each other because with so many bad guys in this game, having two good guys square off and drive one or the other out, of office, uh, people thought that, and I agree that 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 would be unfortunate. By the way, it would be very expensive too, very expensive. But the other thing that um, that I heard from a number of people was that McCormick's reluctance is Trump. Uh, we weren't going to get through a podcast without hearing his name. 
And people were saying that the prospect for Dave McCormick, the prospect of running with Donald Trump at the top of the ticket in Pennsylvania in 2024 is daunting because, because, because Trump could take him down and and that's a consideration. So to to be determined, but you you were in the back of the room too, Howard. What what did well, you think? It felt like a campaign kickoff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. I was kind of in the back of the room. Now that we're traveling regularly again and on the rails, Amtrak, of course, delivered me <laughs> 90 minutes late. Um, so I was kind of in the back of the room. But uh, yeah, it was absolutely had the feel of a campaign type event. I think he's running. I disagree that it's unfortunate that two good guys are going up against one another because I think that's what politics should be. I think let them let two people of character, high character compete. By the way, Casey has to, I mean, um, McCormick has to win the primary, but let Caitlin, let two people of good character compete against one another. Let the ideas actually matter. Let the effectiveness of the campaign actually matter. God willing, like Trump matters less. And Caitlin, you're very close to what the NRSC is thinking and doing as it relates to to these events, the, the Republican Senate campaign committee. What, what are your thoughts? Well, McCormick is definitely a top recruit for um, NRSD chairman Steve Daines. He actually had him at their kind of um, uh, winter retreat down in Florida. Uh, we Sometimes people forget Dave McCormick's wife, Dina Powell, served in the Trump administration. Um, so it, it, it is an interesting dichotomy there uh, early on. But um, he is a top recruit, and that is a race that is squarely, you know, on the board for the NRSC as a potential flip. I think there was a hope and and we didn't know until, was it last week, um, that Senator Casey came out and officially announced that he was definitely running again. I think there was a hope that he might retire. That would make that race a little less expensive and a little easier. But uh, he is certainly, as I've mentioned on this before, you know, Chairman Daines is is they're they're they've learned their lessons from last year and they are focused on finding the candidates that can win a general election. Um, and even you know McCormick, it would have been a tough race with Mastriano at the top of the ticket, even if McCormick would have beat Oz, but he would have had a much better shot of outperforming the top of the ticket um, in that race against Fetterman last cycle. And certainly a top recruit, great guy. Um, excited to see that we're, you know, we've hosted an event for him and, and our strong ties there. Yeah. You would have felt um, right at home, Caitlin. It was it was your kind of Republican crowd. I knew half the people in the room because it was Philadelphia. It was the cul-de-sac, Howard. But it was not, I, I'm not sure there was anyone there who thinks Donald Trump should be the nominee of the party. And and certainly the the people in power in that room, the Chester County Republican chairman, uh, Joel Frank, uh, I, uh, a friend, he, I, you know, they're, they're, they're hoping against hope that they don't have to go through that again. 
I thought you were going to say you knew half the room because when it comes to your tax bill, you're actually a Republican and not a Democrat. But <laughs> well, we were approaching the one day of the tail. year, the one day of the year when I'd I'd consider registering independent. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, it was your these were your people, Kate. This was your crowd. It it was and uh, Rodney, uh, our colleague Rodney. Uh, Davis, of course, was the uh, master of ceremonies, if you will, did a did a great job uh, recognizing his former colleague, Pat Meehan, who was there and and many others. So it's very it it was very familiar. It was uh, very, very comfortable in a way that your party, Caitlin, hasn't always presented itself in the last. God, how many years have we been going through this? Seven years now? Eight years. It's pretty crazy. I, I maintain, Mark and Caitlin, that whoever is at the top of the ticket of each party is going to drive the likely outcome. You know, is it Joe Biden versus Donald Trump? Is it Joe Biden versus Ron DeSantis? Is it Kamala Harris versus Ron DeSantis. Who? That no, that, that is not an option. <laughs> Joe Biden versus Tim Scott. I gotta throw it out there, guys. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he had his exploratory event. The top of the ticket's going to drive so much of what happens in a race, like. Well, I, like I that. think that was Howard exactly the point. These folks were making to me about McCormick's decision because to jump into a race with with no one at the top of the ticket, even in a non-presidential year, running against Bob Casey in Pennsylvania is a challenge. And, And in any year, he'd have to think, Dave McCormick would have to think about his chances. But what people were saying is exactly what you're saying, which is, the top of the ticket is going to dominate and going to drive. And you may not be, for better or worse, you, you may not be able to overcome what's happening up above. Can we get Dave to move to like Arizona? That'd be great. <laughs> well, I'm sure he has a home in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> he did make a couple of bucks at Bridgewater. Yeah. And yeah. In other news, speaking of the Senate, there's a big... <laughs> Battle royal going on with respect to Senator Feinstein from California, who is basically of diminished capacity at this point, uh, but staying in her seat. California Democrats are calling on her to resign. I saw Rokana, rep from Silicon yeah. Valley this week, called on her to resign. That, that was a very hot topic this yeah, week. He is- He's running the uh, campaign or is the honorary chair, I guess, of uh, Barbara Lee's campaign to replace Senator Feinstein. Mark, you're sounding like the San Francisco mafia here. Are you uh, with Pelosi and chiding Congressman Khanna and speaking out about this? I wasn't. I'm a big, big fan, as you know, of uh, the former speaker, but I, I was I'm not sure she's right that the calls for Feinstein to resign are gender-based. That the, the, We got a real problem with attendance. You know, Senator Feinstein's been absent, so the Judiciary Committee has been unable to do its business, which is a, a real problem uh, 
for uh, the president and his appointments, his his judicial appointments. Senator Fetterman, of course, has been absent. He is coming back uh, when the Senate comes back. But unfortunately, he is not completely uh, recovered uh, by a long shot. And somebody told me last night that at the Yukon parade this week, Dick Blumenthal, somebody stepped on his foot and broke it. So he's not... Uh, He's not in Washington. We, it, Mitch McConnell for the past couple McConnell's weeks. been out. We yeah, this with um, a massive two vote majority. Chuck Schumer's got to get his people in their seats uh, to get some business done. Well, I mean, I it, these people are too old. They stay too long. They're addicted <clears throat> to power. They can't give it up. It's. It's convenient to keep an incumbent in place, but it is, they just stay too long. We shouldn't have 90 year olds serving in the Senate. We just shouldn't. Or the White House. <laughs> True. Yeah. This isn't, I mean, look, this Feinstein stuff, this is not new. There have been murmurings yeah. in Washington for probably a decade now that she's been slipping a bit in committee hearings and that it was time for her to go and go out on a high note. It's a safe, you know, it's California. It's a very safe Senate seat for them. Let some new leadership shine. And it's it's unfortunate that, you know, her legacy, which is long and and you know, strong in the and the the Democratic Party, it's it's a shame that this is sort of how it's kind of shaping up to all end. By the way, one interesting thing that that we see every day is the differentiation between the way different offices on Capitol Hill are run. Like she's, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say it because she's retiring. She has run a poor office historically. I have literally been in meetings in her office with a constituent that I will not name on this podcast where her staff has fallen asleep in the meeting. I mean, she has. She's never run a good office. That's being modeled for them by the senator. They're just following <laughs> exactly, exactly following the lead set at the top. You yeah. know, all these offices are not all created equal. Like some of them. No, I, and to that point, I'll, I, I have to say, uh, notwithstanding his very unfortunate absence while he was hospitalized, Senator Fetterman's office is actually up and running, open for business. I, I'm not entirely sure how they get their direction on which way they're going on particular issues since the senator. Mark. Yes. Do you, are you're not actually going to pretend for our listening audience that the member or the senator decides which way they're going, are you? I, I thought it was a convenient fiction to keep for our clients. So they, they think that we're working at a very high level. But to the degree that the staff drives the direction they're going, Senator Fetterman's put together with, with Senator Casey and his chief's um, help. They, that's a real office. They, they just need the senator back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're both... Right. Yeah. But yeah, they I've actually been in there at very substantive. Been in there twice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Caitlin, you and I have been in there together. Very substantive yeah. meetings, thoughtful meetings. We may not agree personally with where they're coming from, but very responsive. 
Um, well, it's in contrast to what you're saying about Feinstein's office. You have missing senators in two offices, but they're presenting very differently. Yeah, just right. Yeah, exactly. And it's just striking. You know, we're in and out of these offices all the time, and it's it's just striking, constantly striking to me, Caitlin, just how effective, how well run some of the offices are, and how less well run others are and it's not all the same not all the same um the feinstein thing is uh is becoming comedy it's a charade this idea that she's going to have a temporary replacement on the judiciary committee is just a bad joke i don't know who they think they're fooling is as caitlin knows it will either take a hundred votes to do it without any process uh, by consensus, or it will take sixty votes to close. We need a new organizing resolution, which yeah, and it's just not happening. They're not paving the way for this. They're you know this is handing no. them gifts. So no, I don't. I don't see Leader McConnell given Chuck Schumer a substitute on the Judiciary Committee. So that committee, which, by the way, and we're having a lunch today, as as you, Howard and Caitlin, know, um, in Philadelphia. It's why the audience doesn't doesn't see the uh, sport jacket that I'm rocking this morning here. But, but Sheldon Whitehouse is going to be our guest at lunch. I look forward to asking him about Justice Thomas and the Judiciary Committee and whether whether Chairman uh, Durbin intends to to look into that at all, but which I think he should, but but he doesn't have the votes to issue a subpoena without Senator Feinstein there. So it it's a she's causing a bit of a mess, and it is unfortunate, as you said, Caitlin. She could have gone out on top. She could have done a Michael Jordan. She could have hit the shot, gone out on top, and she's hanging on. Well, even Michael Jordan came and played for the Washington Wizards, Mark. Well, so. he did right. Yeah, he he un, he undid the magic. I think he's doing okay. Yeah. In other news, there there's been this massive or or I don't know if massive is the right <laughs> adjective, but intelligence leak. There was an arrest of a national guardsman. I don't think his military, well, who knows who knows what the facts are. Uh, whether well, he's a 21 year old video gamer that leaked this on a video game blog i'm still trying to wrap my brain around this all but yeah i i don't know but that uh look these things have they have international relations implications i don't i don't know that it's so much about kind of inside the beltway r versus d kind of kind of stuff but i mean they they absolutely have international ramifications there's i guess there's this is going to raise questions about whether we're adequately protecting resources i'm sure i'm sure the r's will get stirred up and try to paint the biden folks as is not appropriately safeguarding national secrets but what do you what do you make of that well, I'm smiling because for the Republicans with their former uh, president at the uh, top of the ticket to be 
criticizing the Biden administration for handling classified documents is just. Oh, Mark, come on. You're walking into this. Biden had documents, too. And this is a completely different situation. I mean, this really put harm to our sources on the ground, tarnish our reputation with allies across the nation. The White House's slow response and the Pentagon's incredibly slow response and getting out ahead of this. And this is a disaster. It's a bad. No question. It, it's a crime is what it is. And I, I'm with you. I'm having trouble understanding what was going on in that game room or wherever these people were. It's very, yeah, very confusing. I mean, look, these things matter in the short term. I think they probably matter less in the in the long term. I think if if our listening audience saw the conduct of foreign affairs and what gets classified and um, what, you know, how, how slow and lumbering our national security bureaucracy is. They'd be very frightened. Some of what I'm saying goes back to, to my days in government when I had a peek at those things. And it's some of it is my week in Washington this week where I was talking to a couple of embassies and talking to the state department on a an international issue on behalf of a client and it's just it's stunning how slow and lumbering our foreign affairs bureaucracy is this is why foreign policy is based is really run out of the white house now the state department in particular is just can't get out of its own way it is a giant lumbering bureaucracy that i mean just walking through the building they like literally have to color code their hallways so people know where to go because the building is so big and they are so slow and so just deliberate and some of it is deliberation and diplomacy are good but this is why foreign policy, it's good that we have a foreign service. It's good that we have embassies around the world. But my gosh, I mean, I'm, it's, it is, uh, we have a slow and lumbering foreign affairs bureaucracy. And it's, it's a little distressing when you, you spend a week seeing it up close and in person. Well, it's a little distressing why this 21-year-old had access to this, all of this critical information about our, you know, special ops and clandestine service activities in Ukraine and in Russia. And it that blows my mind. I mean, we, we've got to re-examine who's getting access to this stuff throughout the entire. But you're right, Howard. I think it's the bureaucracy and, and all of it. But how, why did this guy have access to all of this? Crazy. Yeah, it's, I mean, we have to understand how he got access, assuming he's guilty. I mean... Presumably they had good evidence, but innocent until proven guilty. But yeah, I mean, it's did he have access because he was in the National Guard somehow? Did he have access because he was just, you know, a hacker somehow? Uh, who knows? Who knows? It's now, definitely it's interesting. Your your point about the foreign policy being run out of the White House is is a very interesting one in in a couple of respects that that is where the constitution puts the responsibility for foreign affairs 
But historically, the State Department has often been at odds with the White House. I look back at uh, the run-up to World War II, where the State Department was doing everything it could to slow Roosevelt down from getting the the country engaged. So it, it's it's been a sovereignty. The State Department throughout our history has been a sovereign state department, uh, and the the White House in recent decades taken back the uh, authority for foreign affairs is in part because the State Department was going off uh, in a different direction. Yeah. I mean, Colin Powell versus Dick Cheney and Condoleezza Rice. And, you know, I mean, Hillary Clinton, I think, was a good secretary of state, but she wasn't, you know, the White House was was running foreign policy, not Hillary Clinton. And I mean, certainly the case, certainly the case now, same in the the Trump administration. We barely, (laughs) it didn't, it was less than a year before. It's hard to remember who the secretary of state was. Rex Tillerson. Yeah, no, no, I I remember, but it took me a minute to retrieve. Right, right. That's the point. So it's just, There, it's it's uh, it's not the most effective. We don't have the most nimble foreign policy apparatus and things that get classified. I mean, there were plenty of times where I would read, see classified information that I'd already read in a newspaper somewhere, a foreign, you know, that where I could produce information on Google that was the same information that I was reading in a classified document. This obviously goes back many, many, many years now to my time in government, but just, just interesting. Yeah. Well, any uh, Congress comes back. It's been a nice two-week recess. I'm like, well, oh, Congress, Congress back is on Monday. conducting its business. Isn't the House Judiciary Committee uh, holding a hearing today, Caitlin? Is this uh, is I think this, it's today, right? I thought Chairman Jordan was in New York today. Oh but, yes, 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 yes. Yes, you're you're not. I thought you might be broadcasting live from from his hearing. No, I wonder. And and I think uh, the the Democrats are actually going, showing up, and and they've got um, several Democrats that are now participating, and it's it's going to be yeah. look, it's a, it's going to be at the circus, I'm sure. Yeah. But Congress comes back. Biden's over in Ireland. He's he's where he home. wants to stay. Right, he's home <laughs> in Ireland, and he'll be back. And it's gonna, I think, be a pretty wild kind of run up to the summer here. We should have the Republican field kind of fill itself out over the next couple of months. We should have some serious legislative activity and 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 battles as Congress continues to do its business over the next couple of months. So we will have uh, we'll have newsier weeks than this one, but still fun, still fun on the OG edition of the Beltway <laughs> Briefing. And we will be back next week. And thanks everybody for listening. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing 
a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.